Hi, friend. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. And it is my sincere hope you'll hear something that will encourage, edify, equip, and then get you out into the marketplace of ideas. But before you listen, I'm going to tell you about this month's Truth Tool. My Truth Tool is offered to anyone who gives a financial gift to In the Market with Janet Parshall. And this month, I've chosen the book, Connecting the Dots, What God is Doing When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Ever been there? Of course you have. We all have been. Sometimes we think we're walking in circles, and we're wondering whether or not God has left us, we've walked away from Him, what in the world we're doing if we're even in the center of His will. So this book is designed to help you find peace and confidence in your current challenge. And all of us have challenges. It also will make sense of most of the lessons you're learning right now. And the most important part of this and why I felt this would be appropriate is because it will help clarify in your mind the unique mission and message that God has given to you. So the book is called Connecting the Dots. It's yours for a gift of any amount. And all you have to do is call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. And give a gift of any amount, and we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. If you prefer to do it online, that's easy as well. In the market with JanetParshall.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Click on through, make your gift, and again, we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. Just below the picture of the book is a description of what it means to be a partial partner. Those are people who give every month a gift of their own choosing. They set the level of giving. I don't. But they'll always get the truth tool. And in addition to that, a weekly newsletter that goes out as well. So consider being a partial partner or getting a copy of Connecting the Dots by calling 877-JANET-58 or online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Now, please enjoy the program. Hi, friends. Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. It's Heart to Heart Friday, where Craig and I share some of the stories making headlines this week, and then we'll offer our insight and analysis. If you'd like to join in the conversation on what we're talking about, please call 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. Now let's take a quick look back at some of the other topics we discussed this week. If you go on the World Economic Forum website, there's a chart there of everything that they intend the digital ID to be required for you and me to do. So in other words, we will need a digital ID in order to access health care, in order to travel, in order to buy anything online um, or, or even anything at all, in, in order to vote, in order to pay our taxes, in order to be, to, you know, be on social media. Basically, every aspect of human life is going to require a digital ID. And these are very dangerous because they can be used very similar to a China social credit system. The gold standard is the word of God. You will never hear something from God or someone tells you something that contradicts the word of God and it be, it's not going to go against his word. The second is there's this, uh, he speaks through guidance. King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. I mean, he should have been the guy that said, you don't need guidance, just get wisdom. But he said, wisest man who ever lived said, you need counsel multiple times. Mm. Then there's this inner voice of God that speaks within us. And and it's this kind of just, it says a verse in Isaiah, it says, when you turn to the left or the right, you'll know this is, you'll hear a voice saying, this is the way walk there in it. Mm. And then there's, the point five, which I think this only is used when it lines up with all the other three. And again, this is a hierarchy of guidance, the word of God, uh, authorities in our lives, spiritual authorities, and then uh, that inner voice that he speaks within us. You see a man after God's own heart and you see a man that is not afraid to shake his fist in anger when it feels like God 
is is letting him down and not afraid to tell God what he is sad about, his shame. Um, he comes to him with every single emotion under the sun. You know, for so long, we have judged our own emotions and we have judged other people's emotions. And so we think that God is judging our emotions and yet he wants to draw really near to us. One of the ways that the government gets at the pastors is through their children. So mm -hmm. if you are the son or daughter of a pastor in Cuba, you could go K through 12, you could do every single assignment. In fact, you could get an A on every single assignment. And when graduation day comes, they might not give you a diploma because they say, oh, oh, your father is a pastor. Your father is opposed to the revolution. We're not gonna reward you. We're not gonna give you the diploma that you have earned over the last 13 years. And I, you know, I think about those kids who are, they're also paying a price because of their parents' ministry, because of their uh, being in, in the home of a pastor. True belief is who does God say that you are? Okay, so if you're, if you're needing a lot of that confirmation, looking for your lovability and likability, then you scour your lives and say, well, wait a minute here. No, I do have close friendships or um, I, I do get along well with all these other people. And so you're, you remind yourself of those truths and over time you start to heal, but it takes a lot of work, a lot of consistency. And like I said, a, a lot, um, a lot of work can be done uh, with a good Christian counselor who understands trauma recovery. It's Heart to Heart Friday. Here are some of the other stories making headlines this week. As the second anniversary of Russia's full-scale invasion approaches, Ukraine's ranks are wearing thin and the country is struggling to broaden recruitment. Britain's economy fell into a recession in the second half of last year. Egypt is building shelters on its side of the Gaza border which could accommodate Palestinians. Greece legalised same-sex marriage on Thursday. It's Heart to Heart Friday on In the Market with Janet Parshall. Craig and I have lots to share and we'll put the first story on the table when we return. To join the conversation on the topics we're discussing, call 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. God's work tends to follow a specific circular pattern in every season of life. When we understand his pattern, we gain perspective on his hand in our life. That's why I've chosen Connecting the Dots as this month's truth tool. Find clarity for your unique mission and message. Ask for your copy of Connecting the Dots when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Hi, friends. Happy Friday to you. This is In the Market with Janet Partial. Mr. Craig Partial is with me, lawyer extraordinaire and someone who understands completely how to apply the word of God to the world around us. And that's really what Fridays are all about here. We take a look at stories making headlines, but fair warning, we look at them from a markedly different position. We look at the world through the lens of scripture. And that often has us seeing in a different way than the world around us, than if I can, the merchants in the marketplace of ideas. So we go round robin, we go fast, we cover a lot of topics. So I hope that we get you to think critically and biblically. And we're going to start with the great state of Michigan. You know, homeschoolers have been under attack in this country for a long time. In fact, being in Washington, not for years, but decades, I can tell you one of the momentous moments on Capitol Hill was when a very threatening bill was introduced against homeschoolers 
on Capitol Hill, it literally, when the word got out, and there were a lot of Christian shows that took their platforms and warned moms and dads, because while not everyone who homeschools is a follower of Christ, many are. That is the choice that they make for their families. And so when they began to understand the government intrusion at the federal level, it literally melted the Capitol Hill switchboard. It literally shut them down. They got so many phone calls. Thanks be to God. The bill was dead on arrival and it didn't go any farther. But that's how long ago intrusion into homeschooling families has been taking place in this country. So I give you the state of Michigan, where once again, they're going to try this pernicious invasion of homeschooling families. And uh, it's all under the guise of we have to catch people or child abusers. And that's as old as the hills, by the way. They've been using that ruse forever. And so Michigan's homeschooling parents said that they're going to fight this plan. It was introduced by state Democrats to force families who opt out of publication to sign on to a mandatory registry. So the Michigan Christian Homeschool Network, note the name, and other groups have held meetings to rally, support, and protect themselves from what they call an unnecessary amount of red tape and supervision. And I agree with them, by the way. And so the people who are putting this plan forward allegedly say we want more oversight of homeschooling, including a registry of students who opt out after reports of child abuse that were linked to education in private homes. How many how many reports to child abuse? What, were they substantiated? You know, you can throw an accusation as much as you want to, but how many were substantiated issues of abuse in the home? And was there a linkage to homeschooling? So this is a can of sardines. You can see that, I'm sure, just as clear as can be. But again, if you're going to track somebody at the federal government, if you shop at Dick's Sporting Goods or Pro Bass or Cabela's, if you buy a Bible, if you buy a gun, if you buy ammo, the more you register with the government, the more your privacy, A, is violated, and B, the more the government is tracking. So if a parent who shows up at a school board meeting can be labeled by this government that's been weaponized to call those moms and dads Domestic terrorists, if you go to a Catholic church where the mass is set in Latin and there are FBI plants in your church looking for domestic terrorists, I can understand why the homeschooling moms in Michigan would say, "Mm, no, we don't need intrusion. We don't need supervision. And we're certainly not going to sign a registry. These are the bad people's list because we've opted out of public school. Look, we don't want your trans ideology. We don't want your homosexual pornography. We don't want your the earth is queen stuff. We don't want some of the stuff that you're ta- talking about on a regular basis. We choose to educate our children at home. Now, the right to choose how you want to educate your children is a long protected right by the United States Supreme Court. But Michigan's on the watch on this one because they're very concerned, by the way, that this is going to be more government intrusion. And uh, apparently this is something that they're not going to take lightly. By the way, Michigan is now one of 11 states where parents don't have to tell anyone they're opting out of traditional schools. Um, Homeschoolers in New York and Massachusetts, uh, by the way, don't have to take proficiency tests. So again, Craig, this is what goes around, comes around. This is not new. This assault, this intrusion, these threats against homeschoolers are decades old. Your thought on this? Yeah, well, the old saying, a thousand mile journey begins with the first step. If you start your first step in your long, long journey in the wrong direction, you end up way out of bounds, which is exactly where we are. And we have been for, I don't know how many decades you and I have been following the homeschooling Uh, controversy among a variety of states. I've represented some parents who have been uh, improperly and wrongly investigated 
uh, for a variety of really fake reasons. Uh, there's a hostility from a secular standpoint and a suspicion uh, in some quarters, not all, but in some quarters against parents who decide to homeschool their child. And by the way, the educational uh, data about the success rate of the vast majority of uh, you know, well uh, homeschooled children is off the charts, as you know. So uh, it's not an educational deficit problem. It's kind of a worldview about who mm-hmm. owns the child. Look, 1972, the U.S. Supreme Court in uh, Wisconsin versus Yoder, there was only one dissent, only one dissent on the court from the decision of the court saying, look, the Amish, both, uh, both on their cultural and their religious basis said uh, we allow our children to go to public school at a certain age and then before I think it was uh, 14 or 15 they come and they learn a trade in the farming community and within the Amish community and the Supreme Court said look it's a fundamental right of parents a fundamental right a liberty right of parents to control not just the moral and and a physical upbringing of their child but also the education of their child. Mm-hmm. They made a point of saying that because the state of Wisconsin dragged this Amish family all the way up to the state Supreme Court and then all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court to try to make the point, we own the child, it's our state, and if you want to live in our state, then we have the control over when your child goes to public school and has to go. And, of course, they lost that case as well. They should. So that's the starting point. I wish the Supreme Court would bring up another case to reinforce that principle, because it's been a while, it's got cobwebs on it. It's still a, a, a principle of law stands. that's good yep. law, yep. but it needs to be brushed off and applied to those who wrongfully uh, are assailing the rights of these homeschooling parents. And, and I, I take umbrage with their argument. It is a straw man at best. It's a hollow man at worst. Uh, the attorney general there, a female, says that homeschooling can be a cover for child abuse. I'm sorry, Craig. Does child abuse only happen in homeschooling families, or can you send your kid to a public school where there's abuse in the home as well? So to pick out a family that somehow homeschools and say it's a cover, abuse comes in all shapes and sizes and forms. And somehow this is, again, the the hubris of the public school system that says we're monitoring our children. And when they come in the front door, we will be able to determine whether or not they've been abused. What if you have a narcissistic dad who uh, throws somebody down the stairs, doesn't leave a bruise, but in his uh, fragmentation, his gaslighting, in his picking the favorite child over the least favorite child, he's abusing them on a regular basis, using profanity against them, um, telling them that somehow they're going to fail constantly. Shows up in school, not a single bruise on him. Goes to a public mm-hmm. school. That's right. abuse. How are you going to yeah. track that down? Well, let's stop and think again. Where's the starting point on this? And the starting point is, wait a minute. The reason that you're wanting to surveil and intrude into homeschooling homes, and by the way, what they want to do in Michigan is make you have to register. Once you're in the registry, then they come in and home and do home inspections, uh-huh. and the state now is coming into the home on a regular basis. Okay, so let's stop right there. So if they're going to come in and you register, now they know who the bad guys are, sure. my euphemism. They're going to now come in and they're going to inspect these homeschooling families. So again, my same point, it was a salient one. So when the abuse takes place in a public school, I guess they're already registered because they're somehow on the rolls of the public school. Will you be doing a home inspection there as well or just the homeschooling families? Well, let's switch the paradigm. Let's say a a parent says, my child is being abused in a public school classroom by this uh, uh, repulsive, uh, violative 
age inappropriate stuff that you're cramming in their mind. Right. Uh, I'm going to ask social services to come in and investigate. I'll tell you right now, they will not come into a public school classroom, but they'll come into your home. Yeah, this is why you and I have been married so long. I had exactly the same thought. So when you've got Miss Sparkle in the front of the classroom and their home, their pronouns are they, he, and unicorn, whatever they want to call themselves, right. and they are violating the sincerely held religious beliefs of some of the children in that room, that's a form of not only educational malpractice, it's emotional abuse. Where's the redress for the parents then? So this is, in fact, I'll tell you what one of the representatives putting this forward in Michigan said. He sent out a tweet and he said, Michigan is one of only 11 states that doesn't count or register homeschool kids. And abusive parents are taking advantage of that to avoid being found out. Show me the data. Show me the convictions. Now, look, you and I are, are vociferously opposed to any form of physical abuse of any child. Or mental. Also... Emotional abuse can take place in the way in which a child is, you know, uh, uh, damaged uh, psychologically and emotionally. But beyond that, um, the the abuse question needs to be, in other words, the presumption needs to be that the parent is taking well uh, care of their child and they're educating them. The presumption has to be that, and the burden of proof has to be on the state showing overwhelming data, and I don't see any data. I think, number one, people are exiting the public schools. There's been a marked uptick from people who are homeschooling from 2018 to 2022. And the second is this. A registry would offer a, quote, clearer understanding of the children not currently enrolled in any learning environment. Wait, excuse me. Homeschooling is a learning environment, number one. Number two, if you need a clearer understanding, go call mom and dad to homeschool. They'll educate you. Back after this. This is a good segue from the story of Michigan wanting to stick its nose into homeschoolers in that particular state under the guise that homeschoolers are, quote, taking advantage of the homeschooling policy in Michigan to cover up the abuse they're doing against their children. Anyway, listen to this. You talk about abuse. Massachusetts public school administrators forced a middle schooler to remove a shirt acknowledging that there are only two human sexes. That's right. Good, sound, substantiated science. But no, 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 no. Doesn't match the narrative. The incident took place March of last year when Liam Morrison wore a T-shirt that reads, There are only two genders. He wore that to a middle school in Massachusetts. He attended the school as a seventh grader at the time of the incident. I already love his parents. They've apparently taught him how to winsomely speak the truth because he didn't say anything that was a pejorative against anybody, but that's now it's not how it's being interpreted. So I'm really glad that, and I'll tell you why else I like the parents, because they got a hold of Alliance Defending Freedom. And the boy was pulled from class by the acting principal, a woman who ordered Morrison to remove the shirt after Morrison declined to do so. Uh, The principal allegedly said he would not be permitted to return to class until he removed the shirt, prompting the seventh grader to leave school for the day. So um, according to the complaint, Morrison's shirt, quote, caused no disruptions at the school. Sounds like the principal was the disruptor here. The incident prompted Morrison to wear a different shirt to school that read... (laughs) 
There are censored genders, which administrators also forced him to remove, the lawsuit said. Officials reportedly cited the school's official dress code when justifying their decision. That policy banned students from wearing clothes that are, quote, that state imply or depict hate speech. I'm sorry. Stop me when we get to hateful science here. Depict hate speech or imagery that target groups based on race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, religious affiliation, or any other classification. Uh, The school censorship led Morrison through his dad and his stepmom to file a lawsuit against the school, against the principal, and uh, says it violates his not only first, but his 14th Amendment rights also. You know, it makes you wonder, if if you wore a T-shirt that said, Jesus is Lord, I'm just dropping it into their policy. If you wore a T-shirt that says, Jesus is Lord, does that state imply or depict hate speech or imagery that targets groups based on race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, religious affiliation, or any other classification? So if you say, Jesus is Lord, what group would you be disparaging? (laughs) Non-believers. By implication. Again, um, there are settled principles in the law, and I wish that some of these school districts would call up one of the many legal, good legal organizations. You mentioned Alliance Defending uh, Freedom. Uh, I work for a great one, American Center for Law and Justice. Um, I could tick off another three, four, five, six other uh, legal organizations that for free will advise these school districts and what the law is. This is what we call settled law, Tinker versus Des Moines. Uh, and this has been for decades that uh, school children and, and those who have not yet reached adulthood who go to public schools do not shed their first amendment rights at the schoolhouse door the exception is disruption and it's key that there was no disruption here so then they would say well wait a minute we have a regulation okay what's your regulation hate speech well what's hateful about that well it's hateful because it hurts and here's the new definition and we, we live in a culture that has redefined language to fit a political agenda. It hurts those children who are transgender because then it makes them feel uh, disenfranchised from the rest of the, of the student body. Well, then how about uh, I'm against war? That's going to offend uh, the peaceniks or uh, the, the, the people who believe that a nation has a right to or, defend itself. Or a child whose dad serves in the military. Right, right. So someone's always going to be offended. The, the test is never offense. And by the way, this is a good reason why your listeners ought to understand that anybody who says we are going to institute a hate speech a restriction on expression or speech, you have to oppose that. Because the history of, quote, hate speech is, A, it's poorly defined. B, its best use is a political agenda to shut down speech yep. they don't like. Well, again, let me give you an example. Let me put skin on what you just said. So this young man, by the way, he's just, he's got uh, he's got a concretized worldview here. This is the kind of champion that uh, George Barnett talks about, right? some people, I think. <laughs> well, he said there were all kinds of T-shirts that people could wear to school including one shirt that said, he, she, they, it's all okay. Now, that would be the antithesis of two gender. And yet that person wasn't told that they had to take their Mm -hmm. shirt off. Now, this young man already wrote an editorial that ended up on a national platform 
which I mean, so not only does he have the brave uh, heart to be able to wear the T-shirt that expresses his view. And who knows, by the way, I'd love to sit down and talk to him and say, did you decide to wear that shirt only after the other people stuck their shirts in your face? You know, he, she, they, it's all okay. And did you say, well, I'm going to put, if your chest is going to be oh, a billboard. Well, it's an all-comers T-shirt exactly. policy, right? If, if your chest is your billboard, my chest is my billboard. So in this op-ed that he wrote, he said, a lot of people are afraid to speak up. We shouldn't be afraid not to think or speak our opinions. Saying something different from what others might say shouldn't be treated as wrong. That's what makes America great. We are free to have a mind of our own. Yeah, there's a young man who has his brain on straight. Yeah, absolutely. And his heart, obviously, uh, willing to take a stand. I got to tell you, it isn't just knowing the right thing. It's doing the right thing with courage. Well, to him. they had oral arguments in the First Circuit Court of Appeals on February 8th. So I'll be curious to see how this one comes down. We're going to take a break and come right back. Keep your hands inside the ride at all times. We go fast here. Another topic on the table when we return. This is In the Market with Janet Partial. That is Craig Partial. Back after this. so many stations, channels, websites, and newspapers to choose from, sometimes it's hard to uncover the truth in today's world. So many voices clamoring for our attention. On In the Market, we bring biblical truth into the marketplace of ideas, equipping you to become a bold voice of truth in this confused and chaotic culture. Become a partial partner today. Call 877-JANET-58 or go online to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. So Craig Parshall is with me. We take a look at some of the stories making headlines, but look at them from a different perspective. So we turn now to the U.S. Census Bureau. And this is all again about government intrusion and overreach. And just, you know, that's my front door. Stay on the other side, please. So apparently the U.S. Census Bureau this year is going to test questions about sexual orientation and gender identity. And they're lauding the fact that this is going to be their most comprehensive survey of American life. But what I find interesting is that the test questions are going to be sent to about 480,000 households. Now, you've got millions of people in the United States, so it's a small section. And by the way, out of the 480,000 households that will get this survey, apparently the Census Bureau expects about just half to respond. That's your choice, by the way. I let you guess what the partials do uh, in the multiple years that we've been married, whenever we've gotten a request from the U.S. Census Bureau. So if the questions are approved, and they're playing with this right now, it'll be the first time ever, and they've tried this before. So again, nothing new under the sun. Some of these bad ideas just keep moving in rotation. Uh, it'll be the first time that sexual orientation and gender identity questions are asked on the American Community Survey, which already asks questions about commuting times, Internet access, family life, income, education levels, disability, military service. Now, do you understand why you can probably guess how the partials have handed any requests from the U.S. Census Bureau? <laughs> really? It's enough we pay taxes. During the test, by the way, people will be able to respond to the questions online, by mail, over the phone, or through in-person interviews. People will who fill out the American Community Survey, what a nice, comfortable, non-threatening name, which belies the insidious nature of this, by the way. Uh, They typically answer the questions for the other members of the household, which is why it's called a proxy response. You got five people in the household um, that take away the children. You've got two adults. You could have two differing opinions there. But the proxy takes over. So, again, it's a flawed system from the get go. 
And it really raises the why question. Why do you need to know this? Especially with such a small sampling, what's half of 480,000? So you get 240,000 supposedly that might answer. And out of this, you're going to do what? Draft public policy, try to create this as the backbone of proposed legislation. I mean, the mind grows weary trying to think of what they'll do with these skewed, and that's what they are, numbers. So, by the way, given privacy concerns, the agency is proposing using flashcards for it because apparently Americans can no longer read uh, flashcards for in-person interviews and using numbered response categories for people who don't want others in their household to know their response. In other words, in other words, if you have a member of your family who says, I want to identify to these Census Bureau people I want to be proud and loud about I'm a transgender person, but I don't want the rest of the family to hear Right, this. right. So while somebody holds up a flashcard yeah. that says blink once if you want to yeah, answer these yeah, questions. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, yeah that wow. respects the integrity so here's of the family, the proposed, doesn't it? <laughs> again, again, the government wants to come in and not unite a family, but fracture a family. And this time they'll use flashcards. So here's some of the sample questions. <clears throat> Gender question one. What sex was name assigned at birth? Possible answers, male, female. For people ages 15 or older, gender question two. What is name's current gender? Name's obviously is the person who's responding to the survey, right? Possible answers, male, female, transgender, binary, and this person uses a different term with a space to write into the response. So I guess if you wanted to call yourself three-spirited, you know, or unicorn or whatever you wanted to do, that's where you could do it. Does make you wonder about proposed legislation regarding unicorns, though, but I digress. The second gender question will be tested in two different ways to determine whether to give respondents the opportunity to select multiple answers. And responses to the questions that allow people to select multiple categories will be prepared will be compared with responses allowing only one answer. The agency also plans to add what it describes as a verification question for anyone whose responses on the two gender questions don't match. Oh, the mind goes wild on what verification would look like there. Sexual orientation question. Which of the following best represents how name thinks of themselves? Possible answers. Gay or straight? Straight. This is not a gay or lesbian. Bisexual. And this person uses a different term with a space to write in the response. It's the government. Ronald Reagan said most dangerous words in the world. We're the government and we're here to help. Uh, So let's talk. A little bit about the Census Bureau in general before we also go back to the very questionable specifics of this particular agenda. Uh, from a general standpoint, you know, the Census Bureau, most of us think, okay, it's trying to find out how many people live in America, right? Uh, because those numbers affect a number of things that Congress does and uses with regard to legislation. <laughs> Um, also, the executive branch wants to know how many people that the federal government is, uh, you know, governing and so forth. Now, those are legitimate areas, but you have to understand that the Census Bureau is one of the bureaus, one of the administration agencies that is under the executive branch, that is to say, the White House. When a president comes into the White House, they have influence over the agenda, the policies, the direction of each of those bureaus and Mm -hmm. vast number of agencies. And the Census Bureau is one of them. Now, there's a case right now where the briefs have all been filed in the Supreme Court. Oral arguments are coming up in March involving the current administration using its various agencies to try to shut down citizen speech when people were using the Internet 
whether it's Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, to disagree with White House policies. One of the agencies that was involved in shutting down, quote, disinformation of citizens online was the Census Bureau. Really? That is to say, un- again, under the, the, the policies and procedures and governance of the, this White House administration. So they are not without some suspicion. So you have to say, okay, the big picture is they were in, engaged in this really troublesome, nefarious enterprise of shutting down free speech during election cycles online. And the Census Bureau was part of this. And now they're asking highly invasive questions about politically sensitive, uh, controversial issues that now are on the forefront. So you add one and one and it gives you two. Well, when they're putting spies in Catholic churches. okay. but Craig, is there a trigger mechanism if you don't answer the census? Well, this is one of the debatable issues is how much. Can you respond to and how much can't can you refuse to respond to? And there's really not a lot of law about people who have mm-hmm. stood up and said uh, at their front door, no, I'm not going to participate. I've read what you are asking me here and I'm going to refuse to answer a bunch of these questions. And I think it's really uh, uh, this is ill will. This is not done in good faith by the government. So there's there's I have to tell you, there's not a lot of cases that are recent uh, reported case law about your right uh, not to participate. But this particular one, from what I have read, almost looks like it's a pilot program. And by the way, it still has to be approved. So they're floating the idea. Perhaps they're floating this trial balloon to see how much pushback they're going to get. I do, too. So yeah. I think when people get the chance, if you have the opportunity and you think this is a great idea, well, voice your opinion. If you think it's a terrible idea and it's very invasive and it's a troublesome direction of the federal government, maybe you ought to let your people in Congress know that you think the federal government's overstepping. Well, again, it's an autonomous agency doing what they have been told under, and remember there are these agencies, as you pointed out earlier, and it helps people to understand what the org chart looks like for the federal government. This is under the agency of the executive branch of the government. You'd think it might be under the legislative. It's not. You think it's under the judiciary. They don't work for Congress. They don't work for the Supreme Court. They work for the White House. They work for the White House. And so these are usually directives given to the agents from the White House. That's the in the org chart under the executive branch. That would be the top. And then it would flow down to the uh, agencies, which is really a perfect picture about worldview, is it not? And this is why we always say elections have consequences, sure. yeah. because the worldview then takes up residency and the worldview gets legs and walks around in these different agencies. It's why one administration through the Department of Health and Human Services says the sincerely held religious beliefs of pro-life doctors and nurses will be protected. Therefore, the directive through HHS is no pro-life doctor or nurse will be forced to perform an abortion or inseminate a same-sex couple because if it's violent against their religious, against their religious yeah. beliefs. There's another administration comes along after that and says, we wipe that entire policy out. There is no protection and we're suspended the sincerely held belief we've had in this country for almost in 250 years that your sincerely held religious beliefs are giving you a hedge of protection to not to be coerced into behavior or beliefs that are antithetical to your worldview. Yeah, I mean, look, and this is the way the the process works. There's nothing wrong with the, the process, but you have to know that it exists, it exists. and how it exactly. works. When a president mm-hmm. gets elected, then the president has his staff work with him or her to appoint heads of all of these agencies and bureaus, almost all of them. 
Um, and the Census Bureau is one of them. So the White House chooses the person that they believe, the president and the White House believe, will follow their policies to the T. They will enforce their worldview in terms of the political, social, um, you know, attitudes that the White House has in terms of certain issues. If the White House wants transgender rights to be enlarged, Census Bureau is going to be told. And the person who gets appointed to be the head of the uh, the Census Bureau will be told, this is a high agenda item for us. We're going to enforce it. Well, and another example, and these, again, this is just calling the plays as they happen. So if the National School Board Association decides that it doesn't like parents showing up at the school board meeting... The, school, the National School Board Association sends a letter to the White House. The White sure. House kicks it to the Department of Justice. The Attorney General then ignites the FBI. Who is also appointed, all appointed by the president. All under the executive branch. Elected, exactly. Sure. Now you've got parents being viewed as, quote, potential domestic terrorists if they show up at a school board meeting. You know, for decades, school boards would beg parents to come in and weigh in on these decisions. Yeah. <laughs> now they give them 30 seconds and they don't want them to show up at all because we'll yeah. have the FBI Things threat have you. Changed. Boy, have they ever we got more stories for you. Stick around. This is In the Market with Janet Parshall. More after this. So continuing in a vein of schools, let's tell you what happened yesterday in the great Commonwealth of Virginia. The ACLU has filed not one but two lawsuits against the Virginia Department of Education over its parental rights model policies. So the department adopted the model policies on ensuring privacy, dignity, and respect for all students and parents in July 2023. That name will tell you immediately that this was a good policy. Um, And it, quote, safeguarded parental rights, makes it an even better policy, when it comes to their students' education. But the ACLU, which is suing on behalf of allegedly two transgender students, accused the department of pushing an, quote, ideological and political agenda. Like the cartoon Roadrunner, the smoke's coming out of my feet here. So wait a minute. When you're pushing transgenderism, a social contagion where we have a 400 percent uptick, you're not pushing an ideological and a political agenda. I digress. And the people who are suing vis-a-vis the ACLU are saying it's an ideological and political agenda by allowing only biological women in women's sports, locker rooms and bathrooms and not using preferred pronouns. Again, Craig. All things that 10 years ago we would have considered right and good and true and now verboten. So you got a kid yep. getting kicked out of school in Massachusetts for saying there are two genders. And now you got the ACLU suing Virginia, trying to protect girls in a locker room so they don't have to have their dignity and their privacy violated. The death of common sense. Um, so the ACLU put out a press release and they said, in both cases, we argued that the 2023 model policies don't comply with the 2020 state law inspired by VDO, Virginia Department of Education, to develop model policies ensuring inclusive and equitable. See why these DEI programs are deadly? This is the same thing here. Inclusive and equitable treatment of transgender and non-binary students in Virginia public schools. So again, let's just unpack this because use the old thinking cap that your mom and dad talked about and use discernment that the Bible talks about. So in other words, the, the policy and the fact that it even has to be turned into a policy is ludicrous on its face. But the policy said girls use girls' bathroom, boys use boys' bathroom. But because of some people who are confused emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and they decide that somehow they woke up in the wrong body and therefore they have the right to trample on the rights of every other girl in the bathroom, 
they should be able to walk in in all of their um, anatomically correct parts and violate a girl's privacy in the locker room or in a bathroom. Now, the ACLU said, sorry, not inclusive, not equity. So we're going to go after you. So I'm going to be watching this one carefully because they'll use this as precedent and they'll go after every one of these policies in the states where common sense and decency is being put back in place. But let's go back to our discussion that we had a couple of minutes ago before the break. And that is the way that government works, not only on the federal level, but now on the state level, because it's mirrored in the state of Virginia and every other state. When a governor comes in, just like a new president in the White House, a governor has the ability within the restrictions of law to influence the agencies, including the Department of Education in the state of Virginia, uh, for the policies that that governor believes are in the best interest of children and families and education. So what the ACLU is doing is saying we don't, basically we don't like Youngkin's uh, gubernatorial policies. In other words, you don't like the governor that got elected because he is choosing to have the agency underneath his um, policies his governor's office implementing the policies and values of that governor's uh, uh, position. And that's really what they're arguing with the governor. They're not arguing with the law. They want their result-oriented ACLU has always been result-oriented and they will file lawsuits regardless of whether they think that they're going to be successful because they are persistent. And I will give them that. Although there are cases where they and I happen to agree but this is not certainly one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Again, the, the department policy, just so you understand this, and they, they, I think they were being as uh, sensitive as they could. The policy, and this is the Department of Education in Virginia, but again, if you can do it in Virginia, you're going to use this as a test case across the country. The department requires students to use bathrooms and locker rooms based on their biological sex, with an exception if parents request that their child use a separate bathroom if they have concerns about their child's privacy. Students are also required to participate in sports that match their biological sex. So the ACLU basically says no, because you're going to put transgender students at risk of further harassment. Again, what do you do with the 18 girls in the girls' locker room who are being violated because a man comes in? What about their rights? I mean, I just love the idea that somehow people like the ACLU, groups like the ACLU, think there is an ascendancy to transgender rights and they usurp heteronormative rights, if I can use a trendy term. Yeah, what they do is they have a very narrow view of who the victims are and who the oppressors are. Everyone else who doesn't agree to the agenda are the oppressors. And the victims are those, is a very, very slim minority uh, that they support that believe in these forced uh, adherence to transgender values. Now, this goes back to a conversation you and I had some time ago where it was touted, and we very clearly shared this on the air, that this administration said, we are watching you. Do you remember that? That basically there were some communiques that were made public that basically said to uh, schools in Virginia, hey, we're here for you. If you don't like these policies, we're here for you. So I'm going to make a statement here. I would not be surprised. My opinion, subjective, underscore, I wouldn't be surprised if the ACLU, while they represent two alleged trans students, mm-hmm. are acting at the behest of the Department of Justice and this administration. Too far, Farts? A fetch? No, there are conversations ongoing. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with conversations between uh, advocacy groups and the White House. Happens all the time. Happens on the Republican side. Happens on the Democrat side. Happens among independent party members. 
That's the way the process goes. And remember, let's remember how the process works. But this, the, the, the people out there, all of you need to know this is how it operates. And so if you don't like the ACLU being uh, basically the handmaiden or deputized by the federal government and the White House to, to file these kind of lawsuits and, and, you know, basically enlarge the agenda of the White House, there's an election coming. This is when you voice your values and for the candidates who reflect those values. Well, and it also underscores something else we said, that for the discerning saint, you need to understand the process versus people. So public policy is really the desired outcome. But the public policy doesn't come about unless you have politicians. So the politicians put forth the public policy, and then the process begins on how a proposal becomes a law. So when we say people are policy, you understand exactly what that means. So in a year when you're thinking and praying, because there will be an election for a myriad of offices, like I've always said, the presidential election tends to suck the air out of the room, but that there are other also extremely important uh, offices that will be up for election as well. You need to start thinking critically about ideas, how ideas have consequences. Good ideas have good consequences, bad ideas. Well, I'll let you fill in the blank. We do this for another hour. Hope you can join us. If not, have a great weekend.